Good afternoon and welcome to special coverage from St. Louis Public Radio of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's State of the State Address. We'll also have the Democratic response from State Senator Lauren Arthur. I'm Sarah Fenske, the host of St. Louis Public Radio's talk show, St. Louis on the Air. And in addition to welcoming our listeners in St. Louis, Rolla, and the Hannibal area, we also welcome listeners of KCUR in Kansas City, KBIA in Columbia, KSMU in Springfield, and KRCU in Cape Girardeau. We'll hear from Governor Mike Parson in just a bit. And in the meantime, St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Sarah Kellogg joins me now from the Missouri House. Sarah Kellogg, hello. Hello, Sarah. So, Sarah, I can hear some noise there in the background. You're there in the house. Who else is there now? Uh, seems like everyone. No, <laughs> uh, basically, uh, Missouri House members have already kind of gaveled in, and the Senate has also just been welcomed in. So senators just made their way because it is a speech to the entire body. Uh, still no show from Parson yet, but I'm sure we'll see him soon. And will Parson be the first person up speaking right away? Um, I'm... Not. I think there will be some introductions made. Oh, and they actually are beginning right now. We might. Well, not. Parson is not meeting the podium yet, but it seems like we're going to be getting the procession of the ceremony itself. Okay. Looks like we might be getting the color guard right now. And so the color guard is now there at the Missouri House. We have members of both the House and the Senate gathered waiting for the speech from Missouri Governor Mike Parson. Sarah, what's the scene as far as COVID protocols go? Are you seeing a lot of masks there in the assembly? Mr. President. Um, I see very little COVID protocols. You know, you, you know, normally you think colors. maybe plexiglass or masks. Um, I see masks on, Mr. you know, Sergeant House Barnes, Democrats. I do not see a lot of or any masks on Republican side for the most part. The galleries are also full, um, seeing sparse masks there as well. So not a huge amount of COVID protocols, which I know is different from last year's uh, State of the State. Okay. And so some relaxed COVID protocols there um, in the Missouri House. And we see now um, the flags are entering the chamber. I assume assume Governor Mike Parson will be right behind that. Um, yeah, I would assume that. Uh, still, I'm kind of keeping an eye on the door myself. They're still going through the ceremony, um, so not quite with the uh, the color guard. Um, looks like they're about to start the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> uh, you can probably hear it from my mic right now. <laughs> yes, so, uh, we can hear the pledge, the pledge there in the background. They are getting ready for Missouri <laughs> Governor Mike Parson to make his entrance. And Sarah, I believe, speaking a little bit quietly there from the floor of the House as uh, these, ser- these proceedings the begin. I pledge allegiance. And here we can hear the Pledge of Allegiance. So I think I have a a little head. (laughs) Okay, and uh, I assume that's Missouri Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe there at the front of the room. Um, Yes, I would believe that would be Kehoe making a lot of the introductions. Yes, that is indeed uh, Governor, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. I am looking at the house at the entrance. I think I see Parson. <laughs> I think I have spotted eyes on the governor within the doors himself. He is yet to enter the chamber. <laughs> okay, and so Parson appears to be waiting in the wings to come in to give his state of his state of the state address, and we're waiting for him to enter the building. Sarah Kellogg is there at the Missouri House, waiting for the governor to make his entrance. Sarah, as we wait for the governor. Okay. Oh, good. Is he coming in now? No, it's fine. You keep going. No, okay. um, I think they're making. I think they're taking roll call, so I think we're good. And do we have a sense of what he intends to talk about today? Um, I think it's a lot of going to be presenting his budget for the upcoming fiscal year. What makes that interesting this year is that it also includes billions that they're going to have to allocate through the Federal American Rescue Plan Act. And obviously, Missouri has until 2024 to allocate those funds. But I'm sure he's going to present a lot of what he wants to see there. 
And so there's an unusual amount of money that they will have to deal with here this year. Oh, yes, billions. And, and, and that's not even including eventual infrastructure money that's going to come down the line from the Federal Infrastructure Act. And, and speaking with, you know, if you speak to Dan Hogg, who's head of the Budget Division, you know, he said the Missouri economy is in really good shape. And so I, I think we're expecting to see kind of expenditures of programs. Um, I know that the governor has advocated for raises, um, so we're probably going to see him talk about that and how the state can handle that. You know, that's a long-term, you know, expenditure for raises for multi-years, and I think that, you know, he's going to show that that's doable. Okay. And so he's made his case for giving raises to these employees that this can't just be a one-time thing, but that there is the budget to cover it going forward. Yes. And he's been very adamant um, about using this one-time money from the American Rescue Plan Act to be one-time expenditures, not new programs that are going to cost money down the line. And so that is something I'm sure a lot of the programs that we will see him talk about um, are going to be, you know, one-time projects for from one-time money. And Sarah, in our final minutes here, as we get ready for the governor to um, enter the building or to enter the room and to make this speech, I understand the House did see some significant action earlier today. Yeah, the House did not be as, wasn't as quiet <laughs> as I thought they would be today, and they actually gave a third reading pass on the redistricting map. Um, they perfected it only yesterday um, and didn't really make a lot of changes. It's still a 6-2 map, um, so they passed the map out of the House, but what they didn't pass was an emergency clause because that did need Democratic support, which it did not get. And so the question is, is are these maps going to go into place after the actual August primary? And, and I guess we kind of have to wait and see. And when you talk about a 6-2 map, this basically keeps the current split for Missouri's congressional delegation in the way these districts are likely to add up. Yes, it would more or less keep the congressional delegation the same. There have been lots of calls from some Republicans, especially the um, conservative caucus, um, to make it a 7-1 map, but I just don't see that being very likely, especially now that it's gone through the House. Okay, not going to say there's not going to be attempts in the Senate, but... (laughs) So, Sarah, I'm hearing some loud applause behind you now. Can you give us an update on, on what's happening? Um, yes, uh, Governor Key, uh, Lieutenant Governor, I keep saying Governor, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe is giving introductions to or, um, people who are here. He just said Eric Schmidt's name. He mentioned Jay Ashcroft, Secretary of State. So he's giving a lot of introductions to people who are in the building and they're all getting applause. Okay, so cabinet members being introduced as we gear up for Missouri Governor Mike Parson to come in and make his speech. As Sarah Kellogg explained just there today, uh, this has not just been a ceremonial day for the House. They have been busy working on some legislation, including that congressional redistricting map. And so that vote happened earlier today, Sarah? Uh, yes, it happened earlier today. At the, okay, so kind of around the noonish hour. Um, and we kind of thought they might tackle this Thursday. There was maybe speculation maybe they wouldn't have had enough votes to pass it because, I mean, the emergency clause did fail. And it was a pretty, you know, didn't have enough. And so who knows if they would have had enough to even pass the map in the first place because there is Republican dissent. There are Republicans who want it to be a 7-1 map, and, and there are definitely a couple of House members who voted, who joined Democrats in voting against the map. And so it seems like it's going to be important for them to tackle this issue of the emergency clause. Is that going to be next on the agenda? I mean, I think they're kind of, I wouldn't say they're dusting, you know, kind of wiping their hands of the whole deal, but now it's in the Senate. So now we'll see if the Senate decides to add an emergency clause. I think it's a lot of what ifs of what's going to happen. And obviously the Democrats have questioned whether or not passing this emergency clause, if, if this constitutes an emergency. So I think it's going to.
be, you know, and it's a lot of leverage for the Democrats. But right now, they kind of don't see it as a, an emergency and, and have cited, you know, we're in a pandemic, that's an emergency. When you talk about leverage for the Democrats, I think it's important to note here, at this point, the Republicans do not have the supermajority that they have long enjoyed. That really changes the calculation there um, for Missouri state government. Yeah, it does. It's, it's all mainly, it's due to vacancies. It's your people either resigning or, or joining the partisan administration in some cases. And so, yeah, they don't have that supermajority that they need anymore to pass emergency clauses, which could be incredibly important. And so Democrats are definitely in, uh, thinking about that leverage and seeing what they could do to accomplishment. You know, I think a 7-1 map had that even been proposed would have definitely not passed. Um, but I think they're looking at other things beyond redistricting as far as leverage. That's interesting. So we're seeing a more active role from Democrats this year. And as Sarah was explaining just there, it's not that Democrats have, have necessarily found greater electoral success. It's just a series of seats that have been vacated. And at this point, it, it seems like it's too late to get special elections in order to fill those seats and at least change this congressional redistricting. Sarah, is that correct? Yeah, I would say as far as redistricting, it, it might be a done deal. I, I think that there has been calls for special elections, in part just to, to help with other matters down the road, because we still have months to go with session. But, you know, redistricting, that was the number one priority. I would say probably number two or early on uh, priority is being, uh, pardon me, just a huge bit of applause there. Uh, I think number two would be maybe supplemental budget or other budgetary issues. But those are definitely some early things that they're hoping to tackle. Okay. And we are talking today to Sarah Kellogg, St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter. Governor Mike Parsons' cabinet has been introduced as we wait for the Missouri governor to arrive and give that state of the state uh, speech. There have been a number of cabinet members who are in attendance, some of them getting rather loud applause as we're just waiting for the governor to enter the chambers and begin his state of the state speech. As Sarah explained, this has been a busy time for the Missouri House. They have not just been waiting for the governor's speech. They've also been uh, getting through some important stuff. That includes the redistricting there. And Sarah, they're still introducing some dignitaries here, um, just a bunch of people yeah. in this audience. Yeah, they, uh, I did hear a pretty uh, big applause for Todd Richardson, you know, who's in charge of Medicaid. But of course, he uh, was a former House, you know, former speaker. So uh, not surprised there was some applause there. <laughs> so that's less, uh, of, it seems uh, like, yeah, lots of for, that's less applause for Medicaid and more applause for the man. I think so, <laughs> especially, for, you know, one of one of us kind of idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Once once you've been a politician, I guess you always have some friends there in the House and in the Senate. And as you said, there's a full... Oh, especially forward over the House. Yeah. The full House, full Senate here today, members in attendance waiting for the governor here. And the introductions continue. And here we hear the uh, First Lady of Missouri, Teresa Parson, being introduced. A large round of applause for her. Sarah, can you see, has she entered the chamber? Um, I can't super tell. Unfortunately, I'm where the house lectern is. I am above. I could theoretically like peek around, but I'm, I'm seated pretty much right where, where Parson's going to speak. Um, I am still waiting to see. Oh, looks like we might be starting to open the door, so Parson might be entering right now, at least from what I can see, but I'm, we're going to stand by for that. The doors are opening very slowly, um, and I see the governor. Ah, the governor has made an appearance, and now we have some silence coming. Here, and here we go. So there's a committee, and as well as Governor Parson is starting to walk through the doors of the House of Representatives. Missouri Governor Mike Parson making his entrance to the Missouri House as he prepares to give his State of the State address. 
think a lot of a lot of shaking hands, a lot of a lot of mirth, <laughs> uh, lots of applause as the governor starts to make his rounds. He's still in the back, <laughs> uh, you know, talking to lots of people as he as he makes his way forward. And I understand those doors are now open, and the governor is walking into the chambers there right now. He's showing his his cuff to the senator or to Representative Jerome Barnes. I'm just kind of trying. This is also a name test for me <laughs> as a new person. Like, who is he talking to? Uh, but yeah, shaking hands, and then he's slowly making his way to the podium. There's also a committee. I unfortunately didn't catch the name, but there is a committee of House reps that are also and some senators that are making their way. I see um, Senate President Pro Tem Dave Schatz um, in that line of, of people who came in with the governor. I also see Senator Dan Hegeman as well. So seems like it's a little bit of, of both House and uh, House reps and senators making their way as. Parson's about halfway uh, through the house at this point. So yeah, Mark, Mike Parson is, is slowly making his way through a crowd of well-wishers, shaking some hands. Um, he's dressed there in a navy suit, a, a striped tie. He looks nice and relaxed as, as he enters for this big speech. Uh, yes, I would say he's, you know, I'm seeing lots of, lots of hugs or half hugs and, and shaking of hands. So he's uh, definitely taking his time and saying hello to folks. You know, you have to wonder, this is you know, last year the state of the state address wasn't in the house, so I wonder if it's kind of a return to normalcy in a way, even though we are still in a pandemic. Yeah, and here he is. He's continuing to make his way up to the podium. Uh, Missouri Governor Mike Parson, he is now in the house where he will give his state of the state address. He is back in the house after a bunch of machinations last year that had that not happening in the house. Of course, the COVID situation in Missouri was much more front and center for many state representatives and senators this year. As Sarah Kellogg noted just now, there are not many masks in evidence. We are seeing some Democrats wearing them, but there don't seem to be overall that many there on the floor as Governor Mike Parson is making his way slowly towards the front. Sarah, he is still shaking hands, just finding a lot of people who want to say hi. Yeah, I think so. I think he's on from what from my from my timeline, which is a little bit ahead. I think he has made his way to the podium now. So I believe we're probably going to start hearing him speak soon, but there's still lots of applause. But uh, yeah, I think I think soon, <laughs> any moment, I think he's going to start begin. He's okay. going to begin soon. Yeah, and we are waiting for Missouri Governor Mike Parson to take the podium and begin his speech as he delivers the 2022 State of the State Address. That should be here in just a few minutes. I'm talking to St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Sarah Kellogg, who is there in the house watching this all unfold. All right, and now, I think he's, Kehoe is introducing him. So and that is Missouri Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. <laughs> And let's listen as Missouri Governor Mike Parson takes the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the 57th governor of the great state of Missouri, Governor Mike Parson. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor, Mr. Speaker, statewide officials, judges of the Missouri Supreme Court, and the state legislators. It is an honor to stand before you today as the 57th governor of the great state of Missouri. Once again, 
We're an exciting time for Missouri. In our future, this past year, we will celebrate the bicentennial of our state and 150 years of the Missouri Governor's Mansion. I was honored to have served as Missouri's governor during this remarkable milestone of our state. The First Lady and I were fortunate to be able to tour Missouri and visit communities all across the state and witness their individual contributions to our rich history. From the US, from Ulysses S. Grant National Historical Site in St. Louis, to the Hubble Space Telescope in Marshfield, from Walt Disney and Marceline, to Jesse James' birthplace in Kearney, from John J. Pershing in Laclede, to Mark Twain in Hannibal. And how could we ever forget Maxie the Goose in small town Sumner, Missouri. After more than 45 bicentennial stops, the First Lady and I count ourselves blessed to have experienced the history, tradition, and heart and soul of what makes Missouri great. Faith, family, neighbors helping neighbors, that's who Missourians are. And that's what makes Missouri the best state in the United States. We were also able to host the Bicentennial Parade and the inaugural ball that was enjoyed and celebrated by Missourians from all over the state. Our historic parade included over 100 entries and proudly showcased communities all across Missouri, including the Lincoln University Marching Musical Storm, the Budweiser Clydesdales, Chinese Dragon Dancers, and the Negro League Baseball Museum. It marked the first time in our state's history that inaugural ball was held outside. And we counted ourselves fortunate to be able to celebrate with thousands of Missourians, many of them which had never experienced an inaugural ball. But none of this would have been possible without the effort state government undertook to lessen the impacts of COVID-19. When I stood before you last year, our limited supply of COVID-19 vaccines were available for only a small group of Missourians. No one had a roadmap or a playbook, and we knew we faced difficult times ahead. Nevertheless, state government accepted the challenge and prevailed by focusing on fairness in our vaccine distribution efforts. While there will always be endless critics to tell us how we could have done it better, the facts are we were the ones in the arena. We made the tough decisions and never cowered down to the challenges we faced. Today, one of our greatest successes is the fact that more than 94% of Missourians 65 and older, our most vulnerable population, have received protection from the virus. 
and nearly 75% of Missourians 18 and older have received a vaccine. Now, while we have room to improve, encourage all Missourians to consider vaccine. We have worked tirelessly to ensure that vaccines are available to every Missourian that wants one. And we couldn't have done it without the dedicated public servants at the Department of Health and Senior Services, the State Emergency Management Agency, the Missouri National Guard, the Department of Public Safety, doctors, nurses, and healthcare professionals, and the thousands of local partners for their bold and heroic actions throughout the pandemic. Joining us today are individuals who we would like to give a special thanks to. Michael McMillan and James Clark with the Urban League in St. Louis, and Pastor Miles and his wife, and Janet Miles Barty with the Morning Star Baptist Church in Kansas City. We're instrumental in helping vaccinate some of our most vulnerable populations. With these trusted leaders aiding our efforts, we were able to get hundreds of thousands in Kansas City and St. Louis vaccinated. Additionally, seated in the upper chamber is Colonel Russell Cole with the Missouri National Guard. He helped lead our state vaccine operations. Colonel Cole and our Missouri National Guard members worked around the clock to get vaccines to Missourians as quickly as possible. Our Missouri National Guard members answered the call and completed the mission. Would Michael, James, Pastor Miles, Janet, Colonel Cole, please be stand and be recognized. Missouri is a diverse state, and a one-size-fits-all approach will never work here. In this state, we use common sense and took a balanced approach to the pandemic. And while that may not seem like a novel idea, when you look to some of the policies and mandates in other states and places, you find that common sense may not be so common. We never had any state mandates or forced businesses, schools, or churches to close in this state. We protected lives and livelihoods in this state. And when it comes to COVID-19 mandates, I firmly believe that the people should have a say through their local elected representatives and not be dictated by needless executive action or any one person. That's why I don't support and have never supported mandates and Missourians can rest assured that my position will not change. 
Today, our economy has nearly fully recovered, and we have the opportunity to make fundamental improvements to our state that will serve Missourians now and into the future. Missouri is strong today and will be even stronger tomorrow. Missouri has a solid foundation, and that is something we should all be proud of. Republicans, Democrats, independents, rural, suburban, and urban. It is a foundation that has helped propel our state to new heights in just a few short years and has set us on a course to achieve even greater accomplishments. Unfortunately, it seems success can be purposely overshadowed because positive news don't sell headlines. But rest assured, we refuse to discount the good things happening in Missouri. Whether you live in the Boot Hill, the Ozarks, St. Louis, Kansas City, or anywhere across the state, our relentless focus on workforce development and infrastructure is paying dividends for all Missourians. Our unemployment rate sits at 3.5%. That's below where we were before the pandemic and below the national average. And when we had an all-time high of 385,000 individuals on unemployment, we knew we had to take action and solve this problem. Missouri was one of the first in the nation to cut off the federal unemployment benefits. And today, only 21,000 are drawing benefits. This was the right call and the right thing to do. We are finding economic success, but with 116,000 job openings across the state, now more than ever, it is important to double down on workforce development and skill up our workers to fill these open jobs. We can't be satisfied with the same as before. We must focus on making our state even stronger. Even during the pandemic, we created more than 21,000 new jobs. We saw nearly $5.2 billion in private investment. In 2021, we saw new businesses and existing businesses expand their footprint here in Missouri, including Deli Star, with nearly $100 million invested, 475 new jobs in St. Louis. Gateway Studios, with $111 million invested and more than 100 new jobs in Chesterfield. MEMC, a semiconductor manufacturing company, invested $210 million and 75 new jobs created in O'Fallon. And John Deere Riemann, with $11 million and 130 new jobs created in Springfield. But business investments didn't just occur near Missouri's urban centers. We saw Carlisle Construction Materials invest $62 million and create 100 new jobs in Sykeston, Missouri. Swift Prepared Foods 
invested $250 million and created nearly 400 new jobs in Moberly and Columbia. American Food Group plans to invest $450 million and create 1,300 new jobs in Warren County. Amazon created 400 new jobs in Republic. Frozen Food Express invested $6 million and created 60 new jobs in Butler. Coffee Tree Group created 50 new jobs in Marceline, a town of just 2,000 people. And we could go on and on. But the point is, our small towns, big cities, or anywhere in between, Missouri is open for business, and business is good. And the rest of the nation is taking notice. And companies are looking to our state for their future business expansions. And while we're at it, I want all of you to hear some of the amazing recognitions and rankings our state has earned because we all work together. We are now first in the United States for on-the-job training. We are third in the United States for apprenticeships. We are third in the United States for our business tax index, far outranking all of our neighboring states. We are fourth in the United States for new manufacturing facilities. We are fourth in the United States for best places to retire. We are fifth in the United States for our low cost of doing business. We are seventh in the United States for people relocating to our state. And we are seventh in the United States for tech manufacturing growth. Now, believe it or not, I'm only halfway through. We are eighth in the United States for economic recovery. We are eighth in the United States for best place to work for nurses. We are ninth in the United States for military retirees. We are ninth in the United States for housing affordability. And we are tenth in the United States for automobile and aerospace industries. We are tenth in the United States for new business expansions. And we are tenth in the United States for site selections. And ladies, listen to this next one. This one. We are 10th in the United States for women in technology here in Missouri. Later this evening, we will share these rankings with each of you. And I hope you promote these wins for every district, every county, and every Missouri. The bottom line is Missouri's economy is strong. You're listening to live special coverage of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's annual State of the State Address. With a historic budget surplus and federal dollars coming into our state, we want to build on our past momentum to capture even greater opportunities for the future of Missourians. But I want to remind you that our economy is strong despite federal funding. When other states will be using federal dollars to fill spending gaps and budget shortfalls, we will be making investments in the future because in Missouri, we took a common sense approach to the pandemic, never shut our businesses down, and have always had a conservative and balanced budget.
By doing so, you'll also be happy to hear that thanks to our record economic performance, Missourians will receive an additional tax cut this year. The tax rate will be reduced to a new low of 5.3%, easing Missourians' tax burdens yet again. Thanks to common sense, responsible spending, and working with the General Assembly. With this, this will be the second time our administration has cut taxes for Missourians. However, we must work to maintain this strong economy's position by establishing a cash operating expense fund, by setting aside an additional 2.5% of general revenue. We will achieve financial stability when the rainy days do come. This is the responsible thing to do. This is the conservative thing to do. This is the right thing to do. From the beginning, we challenged the legislature to support workforce development infrastructure, strengthen our communities, and improve government. And we have achieved some historic wins in each of those areas together. This session, we must recommit ourselves to helping skill up our workforce and preparing the next generations for the demands of the future. Over the last few years, it has become more important than ever to provide adults with opportunities to learn new skills and develop their career potentials. In just a short time, and despite the pandemic, our fast-track program saw a 65% increase in participants in 2021. To our surprise, 80% of the recipients are women and 50% are first-generation college students. Additionally, more than 50% are enrolled in healthcare programs, which has become a blessing considering the last 22 months. We are happy to have two outstanding fast-track participants from Bolivar Technical College with us here today. Shanisha Alexander and Brian Webb are pursuing degrees in nursing. And we are proud of these students for their commitment and working toward a better future for themselves and their families. Would Ms. Alexander and Mr. Webb please stand to be recognized. As you can see, 
This program is making a real difference for many Missourians, and that's why we must permanently establish this program. In 2019, we also revamped Missouri One Star through the Talent for Tomorrow initiative, and today that program is ranked ninth in the United States. In three years, in three years, Missouri One Start assisted companies locating or expanding in Missouri with more than 700 programs aimed at recruiting and training new employees. More than 76,000 workers have received training through this successful program. To continue this path, we must have a talented and dedicated team across state government. I know that many of you would agree that Missouri has some of the best of the best in our ranks. The success of our state relies heavily on these public servants, and we must ensure we are able to recruit and retain quality team members to serve Missouri. And that's why we are proposing an immediate 5.5% cost of living adjustment for all state employees, this is long overdue. Another group of dedicated state team members is my cabinet. Our administration wouldn't have success without these individuals leading our state workforce. Leading 16 departments and 42,000 individuals is no small task. But we couldn't be more proud of the work they do every day. With the members of my cabinet, please stand to be recognized for the incredible things you have done for the citizens of the great state of Missouri. The future of Missouri and Missouri families relies upon children being healthy, safe, and ready to learn. We must continue to invest in our children and their education. My own daughter is a public school teacher, and I know the tough jobs our education, educators take on. But they answer the call and work hard every day to prepare the next generations of Missourians. Our students deserve a quality education, and their parents demand it. And that's why we are again fully funding the foundation formula. Our teachers, administrators, and staff work tirelessly to support Missouri students. Last year, 95% of Missouri schools saw the value of in-person learning and did the right thing by keeping their doors open and our kids in schools where they belong. And And thanks to their efforts, 
Missouri ranked fifth in the United States for the highest proportion of in-person learning during the 2021 school year. Nothing can replace the classroom, and we are proud of those who recognize this and thank them for their dedication to Missouri children. Unfortunately, Missouri is currently ranked 50th in the United States for starting teacher pay, and half of our new teachers leave the profession by their fifth year. This is unacceptable, and we must do better. That's why we are proposing to raise teacher pay in every corner of this state by part <laughs> by partnering with local school districts. We can increase the baseline salary of new teachers to $38,000 and take the first step in addressing this issue. I want to take a moment to highlight one of our exceptional educators here in Missouri. Ms. Beth Huff is the principal of Fulton Middle School and has recently been named the National Principal of the Year by the National Association of Secondary School Principals. This marks the first time in our state's history that a Missouri principal has earned this top recognition. We know the vast majority of Missouri educators get it right day in and day out. And Mrs. Huff is a shining example of someone who gets it right. Mrs. Huff, would you please stand and be recognized? No one in this chamber would be here today without quality educators in their lives, myself included. In the current labor shortage, we must make lasting investments in our state's continuing education programs to prepare the next generations, the jobs of the future. That's why we are requesting $31 million for our college and universities through Missouri Excel's projects. This will help expand enrollment in high demand jobs. Additionally, we're investing $20 million in grant funding for our 57 area career centers to expand career and technical education programs. With us here today are students in career and technical education programs that represent schools and communities across the state that will benefit from these investments. From the Northland Career Center, Law Enforcement Training Academy, we have Major Audrey Strope and Sergeant Nate Wassum. From Cape Girardeau Career and Technical Center, we have Nicholas Hodges, Computer Networking and Security. Lotta Strickland, from graphic design, and Anwen Sewer for digital media.
from Carthage Technical Center Health Science, we have Olivia Bogolet, Danny Darlin, Carla Simpson. From Jefferson City Nichols Career Center, we have Cody Elliott, a second year welding student. From Pike Lincoln Technical Center, we have Destiny Gable, Building Trades and Construction. Haley Dow, Automobile Collision. Joe Mound, Diesel Technology. It's programs like these that offer a path for students to pursue high demand, good paying jobs, and we must continue to support them in this state. Please join me in recognizing these hardworking students. After working closely with Missouri's higher education institution, we are very proud to be able to increase our investments in higher education. We will recommend funding for the top capital improvements at state community colleges and four-year institutions, combined with the Missouri Excels projects and scholarship opportunities. This investment will total nearly 600 million dollars and generate over 1.1 billion dollars in economic impact for our state. As I've often said, workforce development and infrastructure go hand in hand. For our state to be successful, we must invest in both. Communities across the state are faced with costly public water and wastewater systems repair and replacement. In order for individuals to live, work, and raise a family, the maintenance and improvements of these public systems must be a priority. The state and local governments must work together to make meaningful and lasting investments that will strengthen every town and county in this state. Under our proposal, we will make $250 million available to communities across the state to enhance access to safe drinking water and responsible wastewater, and $150 million to enhance stormwater systems. While I do not agree with the massive expansion of the federal debt, the responsibility falls on us to invest wisely and make smart decisions. We must do what the federal government cannot. Speaking of strengthening our communities, we are incredibly proud of the progress that has been made thanks to Focus on Bridges. This program set out to repair and replace 250 bridges across the state. We are now nearing completion of 75% of these bridges. And this program's success has allowed us to leverage hundreds of millions of dollars in additional infrastructure investments in every region of this state. It is critical that we continue making these important investments. That's why 
we are proposing $75 million to continue our transportation cost share program for road and bridge projects that bring economic impact to our state. And $100 million to improve low volume roads and minor routes across the state of Missouri. These are the hardest routes to fund and are important to local communities, especially in rural Missouri. This investment will help us free up additional funding for much needed projects in suburban and urban areas, leaving no region behind. This year, we are also proposing $400 million to further increase broadband, the largest single investment in our state's history. This investment will increase access across Missouri for rural areas, but also urban areas that are underserved. With this plan, we will connect 75,000 households with high-speed broadband and invest $30 million toward constructing and upgrading cell towers to expand wireless networks across the state. This is another core investment we are making for the next generations and the future of our state. Road and bridge repair, broadband expansion, are not only important for every Missourian, but are critical for the state's number one industry, agriculture. For Missouri agriculture to remain strong, we must prioritize the extension of critical agriculture tax credits that support Missouri farmers and ranchers, ag businesses, and value-added products. Because we must always stand with Missourians' diverse group of agriculture producers. These men and women wake up every day to feed and fuel the world. And this has been especially true over the past 22 months. When we were facing tough food supply chain issues, they adjusted. They adapted, and they put food on the table, allowing us to avoid the hardships experienced in other states. That's why we're calling for $10 million to expand agriculture innovation and workforce programs. Investments like this help ensure the agriculture way of life in the state of Missouri can be passed down to the next generations. And speaking, of the next generations. Seated in the upper gallery, we have members of the Paris, Missouri FFA chapter, which was recently recognized as the 2021 National FFA Chapter of the Year, the highest award a chapter can earn in the nation. Out of nearly 9,000 chapters nationwide, we are proud to be home of the National FFA Chapter of the Year 
and even prouder of these Paris, Missouri students. Would the members of the Paris FFA please stand to be recognized? And you're listening to live special coverage of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's annual State of the State Address. With nearly $94 billion in economic impact and nearly 460,000 jobs, Missouri is an agriculture state, and we must never forget it. And as a third-generation farmer, you can rest assured that agriculture will always remain a top priority of this administration. Another area of focus this year is on creating more opportunities for our communities. To further our goal to use public resources to make meaningful long-term investments across the state. We will set aside $250 million for a statewide revitalization grant program to spur local economic development. This program will help bring economic opportunity communities across the state train more workers, define competitive advantage, and bring more jobs to Missouri. Another asset for communities all across the state is our state park and conservation network that is enjoyed by hundreds of thousands of visitors each year. More and more people are getting out and experiencing Missouri's great outdoors. And this year, we have the opportunity to solidify this state asset, an economic driver, and expand tourism. By investing $69 million to start the construction of the Rock Island Trail, we can establish the largest circular rail-to-trail network in the United States and a world-class, one-of-a-kind destination for travelers coming to Missouri while also supporting and creating jobs in this state. One of the lessons we learned from COVID-19 pandemic is that we must also support communities by strengthening our healthcare networks across the state. That's why are we asking for a $34 million investment in rural communities to increase access to telehealth and telemedicine services. And another historic investment we're recommending is a new multi-agency state health laboratory. This lab will accommodate the needs of the Department of Health and Senior Services, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Conservation, and the Department of Natural Resources and join them together on one campus. This will lead to safer, healthier Missourians and a more efficient use of public resources. This year, we are also proposing to double the capacity of our Missouri Autism Centers. This will help more families navigate the challenges 
of treating autism and reduce the backlog for Missouri's families desperately needing service. I want to thank State Treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick and the First Lady for helping bring this to our attention and working to get this done. This year, we must take a renewed look at public safety and how best to fight violent crime. We must continue to support our law enforcement professionals who put their lives on the line to protect our families. We can do this by ensuring consistent requirements and appropriate penalties to hold violent criminals accountable, while also protecting Missouri's Second Amendment rights just as our administration has always done. That said, it's just not how we deal with violent criminals. We must make sure those with behavioral health and substance use disorders receive the treatment and support they need. Last year, with the support of the General Assembly, we made great progress in providing proper treatment to oppositions to Missouri's, Missourians by increasing community support through crisis stabilization centers and community behavioral health liaisons. And this year, we're asking to provide an additional $140 million to support and increase services at health centers across this state. Last year, we also highlighted the first law enforcement training academy in the country at a historically black college at Lincoln University. And this year, we're building on that investment with over $11 million for upgrades and to provide more scholarships for law enforcement officers to receive post-certification and put more officers on the streets. Thanks to the leadership of Senator Williams, Senator Luke DeMeyer, and Representative Roberts, we can ensure our law enforcement professionals are using policing strategies and techniques that make us all proud. With us here today is a very special guest, Missouri State Highway Patrolman, Trooper Colton J. Beck. In December, Trooper Beck was attempting to conduct a routine traffic stop when the suspect fled and a pursuit ensued. The suspect then opened fire on Trooper Beck, striking him in the face, the neck, and the upper torso. Despite being seriously injured, Trooper Beck remained calm and assisted his fellow officers despite the threat posed to his life. He is a proud example of all our law enforcement officers who serve this state honorably. Would you please join me in giving Trooper Beck a well-deserved round of applause.
Missourians respect law and order, but as a former sheriff, it alarms me to see some of the attitudes towards those who have taken an oath to defend our communities and keep us safe. We must work to strengthen our communities by supporting our men and women in law enforcement and learn from the failed policies in other cities and states to never allow anti-law enforcement measures to take hold in this state. In Missouri, we defend law enforcement, not defund them. During my first State of the State, I laid out our strategy to focus on workforce development and infrastructure. Now we have a real opportunity to make lasting investments in these areas and the future of our state. But with these responsibilities, be mindful. With these responsibilities, be mindful about the role of government and where and how it should be involved. Government should invest, not waste. Government should lead, not dictate. And government should support, not mandate, and we must all remember that. You're listening to live special coverage of Missouri Governor Mike Parson's annual State of the State address. He's just about wrapping up. In this state, we have created tens of thousands of new jobs, but we can do more. We have built hundreds of new bridges and repaired thousands of miles of roads, but we can do more. We have expanded broadband to thousands of homes and businesses, but we can do more. We have strengthened communities in urban areas, in suburban areas, in rural areas, but we can do more. And we are ready to stand with each and every one of you to do more for the people of this great state. It is our time and the time is now. In closing, there's a story from this past year that I want to share with all of you. In September, I stood on the tarmac at Lambert Airport when a young man made his return home and when a family found the courage to welcome him one last time. Corporal Jared Schmidt made the ultimate sacrifice for his bravery in defending this nation during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. He did his duty with honor, without question, to protect freedom 
for his family, his community, his state, and his nation. And in such a difficult moment, one wonders, how can we ever make it through? But by taking a look around, you can always find the answer. It's our people. When our nation couldn't be more divided, I saw a community that couldn't be more closer. When a family felt the pain and loss, I saw them embraced by friends, neighbors, and total strangers. In this challenging moment, I saw the best of who Missourians are. That's why I'm proud to be the governor of this great state. And as we close out these past 22 months and look to our next chapter, remember, our strength is our people. When times are hard, Missourians move forward. When someone is down, Missourians lift them up. These past years have been tough and dividing for a lot of people. But Missourians stay true. They give their best. And they always put others first. And we are a better state, a better people because of it. When we look to the future and not dwell in the past, when we find solutions instead of problems, when we stand together instead of apart, we can accomplish anything. We must always keep pushing forward in this state. But no one, no one is coming to do it for us. Missouri is strong today and will be even stronger tomorrow. It is an honor and privilege to be the governor of the great state of Missouri. God bless you, God bless Missouri, and God bless the United States of America. Thank you. And that was Missouri Governor Mike Parson delivering the State of the State Address, outlining his priorities for the legislative session that's now underway. I'm Sarah Fenske, host at St. Louis Public Radio, and we're joined by our sister stations in Missouri. That's KCUR in Kansas City, KBIA in Columbia, KSMU in Springfield, and KRCU in Cape Girardeau. We'll hear the Democratic response to that speech from State Senator Lauren Arthur in just a moment. And political correspondent Joe Manis joins me in the studio studio in St. Louis. Joe, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So what stood out to you in that speech from Missouri Governor Mike Parson? Okay. Uh, obviously, he talked about uh, the improved employment situation. But the key thing I, I took away is that there's, there's no mention of Medicaid expansion. The word Medicaid is not in his speech. And uh, even though that's been at the center of a number of fights the last couple of years, the state having foregone over $20 billion in federal aid since they didn't do it in 2010. And now they, because of the initiative uh, a year or two ago, they are having to do it. And I thought it was interesting that he didn't really talk about that. What, what little bit he touched on health care in his speech has to do with money he's proposing for telemedicine and stuff in rural Missouri, which has been hard hit because of the hospital closures because of the lack of <laughs> Medicaid spending. 
And as you say, then, not a single mention of Medicaid in that speech. And that's even though this this Medicaid expansion is now here. It is it is going forward. People are signing up for this now in Missouri. Didn't mention it. Yes. And if you look at the uh, details on his budget, um, it's close to a billion dollars in the budget for various Medicaid-related um, spending. So I thought that was interesting that he didn't even touch on that. It's like a live wire that he just didn't want to... Uh, tick off um, the lawmakers who were against it, fellow Republican lawmakers who were against it in the um, House and Senate. So he just decided to avoid it. Yeah, didn't touch on that one. He did touch on a number of other programs here and a whole lot of other spending. Is this an unusual amount of spending he was able to outline thanks to all of this other federal aid that's now coming into the state? Correct. And he didn't make very clear, and many governors aren't, Republican governors aren't, that most of that money is federal money. I mean, the money for broadband, the money for different things. He did make a brief statement that he objected to this federal money, but kind of, well, if we're going to get it, we might as well spend it. Which, so, I mean, you have to concede that point there. If we're going to get this money, um, you know, as he said, let's spend it responsibly. Here's his plan for how he says he'll do that. Correct. And his proposed tax cut um, actually is very, percentage-wise, very small. The top uh, Missouri rate now is 5.4%. He's proposing it to lower it to 5.3%. He Basically, states are restricted from as far as using any federal money for that. But that does underscore that the state money, um, there isn't like a ton of extra state money around. There's some. But it's this federal wave that is helping a lot of this spending, but they cannot, I mean, under those laws, they can't use it for tax cuts, even though some states have tried to get around around it. And so there will be now all this spending. It sounds like, you know, he mentioned $400 million for broadband expansion. He said that's the single biggest investment in state history in this $400 million in spending. I assume this spending is going to happen, things like that. There's going to be a bipartisan interest in making broadband happen. Yes. I mean, in rural Missouri, I mean, as a journalist for all these years, I can tell you, in rural Missouri, it's really hard to get signals. It's really hard increasingly when people relying on um, on online communications that rural Missouri has really been uh, shortchanged for decades. And this could just change the whole climate mm-hmm. in rural Missouri as far as attracting the type of jobs that rely on online, that rely on the Internet, that rely on fast uh, messaging And I think that could make, it could be a game changer Mm -hmm. in uh, rural parts of the state. And the governor has made clear, most time he's been in office, he's from rural Missouri and he sees himself as particularly representing rural Missouri and trying to help them. And so uh, there's a lot of the spending that he outlined is to help rural Missouri. Yeah, I mean, one of the other big applause lines there was when he talked about um, putting $100 million, I believe, into uh, roads to help rural Missouri. This was, uh, again, something that is on his agenda. I assume there's federal money that, that's coming to underwrite that. Correct. I mean, you know, the rural Missouri, There's th- this has been going on for at least 30 years. Back in the early 90s when there was this detailed proposed plan and every town over 5,000 was supposed to get a four-lane highway, and that didn't happen. So so it's going to be interesting to see how all this money, when you're really, you know, laying down the pavement, how this happens. Another thing that I thought was very important was um, 
you know, state teacher pay, the entry-level te- teacher pay in Missouri is the lowest in the country, and I think that's one of the reasons Missouri is really hurting, especially rural Missouri, on keeping teachers, getting teachers. And he is talking about, you know, trying to make sure that they increase teacher pay, that they're going to work with school districts. I mean, the state has, there's only a certain amount the state can do as far as school districts, which were locally run, but they're going to try to uh, work with that to get the st- pay up and a lot of that's going to be coming through some sort of federal dollars and he's also proposing a 5.5 percent income hike for state employees and that's after years where state employees got salary freezes. Yeah, I mean, Missouri workers are, are very badly paid. There's been many studies of this across the board. For the teachers, he said, with this infusion of money, this would bring up the baseline to $38,000. He also phrased those raises for state employees as a cost of living adjustment. Maybe that's a more palatable way to spell it, but it, I think most people would agree these raises are long overdue. Oh, yeah. I mean, because they're having trouble keeping and getting state workers, the ones who really do the work. It's not just the the headline guys who are the cabinet members but and, and women. It's all these other people who actually do the work. And in, in Jefferson City and around the state, they have been hurting, especially the last few years uh, with the pandemic and everything, adding on to the fact that they were already so low paid. So we're talking right now to political correspondent Joe Manis about Governor Parson's State of the State speech there. And just before the speech, we were talking to State House reporter Sarah Kellogg. She noted that Democrats have more of a say in what's happening in Jefferson City this year than anyone expected that they would have. And that's because Republicans don't have a supermajority right now. Do you think there's anything in the House? In the House. They do not have a supermajority in the House. That's due to people being chosen for various posts by Governor Parson. There just haven't been special elections for that right now. Do you think the, the Democrats have any intention of trying to stop any part of what Governor Parson outlined here today in the state of the state? I don't think they're necessarily going to want to stop most of it. They may want to try to tweak a little bit. There may be some um, internecine fights over some margin stuff, but most of the stuff of what he said was crowd-pleasing, not just for the average person, but for people on both sides of the aisle and in Jeff City. I mean, they pretty much all agree, except for health care. I mean, there's a, there was a House committee that was having a meeting today, apparently, and discussing trying to impose some work requirements on new Medicaid uh, recipients, which would violate some of the federal laws to allow the state to get the uh, money. So as you say, that Medicaid expansion, that remains a live wire. Didn't touch on that in his speech. He's, he's stuck to the things that maybe everybody can agree on, at least in theory. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, mystified somewhat why he has not called um, any enough special elections to make sure that this um, situation in the House where the Democrats, even though they have such a small number, because there's all these vacancies, most of whom were Republicans, actually are going to give them more power, at least in the short term, and, for, and arguably for most of the session, because the session only runs from January through early May, than they would have otherwise if some or all of those vacancies had been filled by special elections. So you don't see a strategic reason why the governor wouldn't have called for these elections yet? No. Now, I could be oblivious. I mean, sometimes I am. But I'm kind of stunned by that. I don't know if it was because of the pandemic or the difficulty, you know, getting election workers. That could be part of it. Hmm. Because... You know, people just don't want to be uh, necessarily close together. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but the, but this is this is the result. The result is that the Democrats in the House, anyway, will 
are likely to have a little more clout than they would have had. And so that's actually the perfect cue. Let's play the Democratic response to this state of the state address that we just heard from Governor Mike Parson. This is from State Senator Lauren Arthur. She's a Democrat from the Kansas City area. Hi, I'm State Senator Lauren Arthur. I proudly represent District 17 and work to improve the lives of all Missourians. And I appreciate this opportunity to provide the legislative perspective on the state of the state. Without a doubt, the people of Missouri have been through difficult times. But throughout it all, the people of this state have kept moving forward, navigating these unprecedented times to guide their families, their businesses, their schools, and their communities to better days ahead. With this in mind, it's clear that the state of our state is up to us. We have some choices to make. Some won't be easy, but Missourians have never backed down from a challenge, and we must not surrender. We have everything we need right now to put this pandemic behind us, if we choose to act. While COVID-19 may never fully disappear, Missourians are ready to take action to ensure that it will no longer control our lives. It's time leaders listen to those who are vaccinated and ready to move forward. The vaccines work. They're the best protection against hospitalizations and death. They're free, they're widely available, and they are safe. For a fully vaccinated Missouri, the future is very bright. Wages are up, unemployment is down, kids are back in the classroom, and the world is moving forward. But if vaccination rates in Missouri stagnate, hospital beds and ICUs will stay full. Ventilators will remain in short supply. Schools will close, teachers will leave, and the death toll will keep rising. These are two very different states of our state. But ultimately, the choice of which one we live in is up to us. Meanwhile, here in the Missouri legislature, there are a range of priorities demanding our attention. The amount of common ground on issues like education, healthcare, public safety, and economic growth is far and wide. Too often, a majority of legislators have embraced ideas that cater to political extremes. That approach has come at the expense of our state and all of us. There's so much we can achieve if we choose to leave behind fanaticism and the petty bickering that too often defines modern politics. I'd like to invite my colleagues and the governor to join me in passing common sense legislation. That's what a majority of Missourians expect and it's what our constituents deserve. Because my caucus and I are here and we're ready to work for safer communities, stronger schools, affordable health care, and an economy that benefits everyone. We are united and ready to stand against legislative attempts to restrict voting rights, gut classroom funding, wrap health care in red tape and higher costs, or undermine our economy by shifting the tax burden to working families and weakening workers' rights. I truly believe that for most of the members of the General Assembly, there's more that unites us than divides us. Each year, we pass a balanced budget, each year, we pass a few bipartisan bills to improve our state, including my legislation to cover breast cancer screenings for high-risk individuals and our bill to help victims of domestic violence escape dangerous living conditions. Each year, we also help thousands of our constituents, regardless of their political affiliation. So let's keep going. Let's build on that bipartisanship and take it even further. Let's take our record budget surplus and invest in things that will last long after each of us is gone. 
from roads and bridges to our college campuses to job training for workers, there are things we can improve right now that will last well into the future. By repairing roads and bridges now, we prevent future gas tax increases or revenue shifts. By improving our college campuses now, we prevent tuition hikes later on. By investing in workforce training now, we can bring businesses to Missouri with good paying jobs that will move people up the economic ladder for years to come. And as we make these long-term investments, let's also take immediate action to improve the lives of Missourians in every corner of our state. Let's raise wages for state employees this year to prevent massive turnover and service disruptions later. Let's cap the cost of insulin, which has increased 400% in the past decade, so that we can save lives and keep people healthy. Let's expand early childhood education to help more kids start school ready to learn and to help parents return to the workforce. And let's fix mistakes in state law that allow convicted, violent criminals to purchase deadly weapons. Because we can protect our law-abiding citizens' Second Amendment rights, while also reducing the gun, the gun violence that has torn apart families and communities throughout our state. There's so much we can do right now if we make the right choices. So let's stand together on this common ground and work for the common good. Let's find the courage to make certain that the state of our state is and will be one of prosperity, where every Missourian is healthy, safe, and successful. Let's move Missouri forward. Thank you again for this opportunity to share the legislative perspective here at the outset of 2022. Now let's get to work. And that was State Senator Lauren Arthur, a Democrat from Kansas City. She was providing the Democratic response to Missouri Governor Mike Parson. We just heard his complete speech just before as part of our State of the State coverage. I'm here with St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Joe Manis, and she has some analysis. Uh, we were just talking about Governor Parson. Now we heard this response from Senator Arthur. What strikes you listening to the Democratic side of things? Well, she did paint a slightly more dire picture of the situation in Missouri. And she talked about the pandemic in the present tense. Yes, yes, she did, as opposed to um, the, the governor who tended to give a past few. Although I do want to be fair to uh, Governor Parson. Unlike many Republican governors in other states, uh, while he has objected to any mandates, he, he had not fought with uh, officials in St. Louis, St. Louis County, or Kansas City, who did have and continue in some cases mm -hmm. to have some mandates. Actually, the General Assembly has done more to try to block it. And the Missouri Attorney General, who's from the Kansas City area, I mean, St. Louis area, uh, Eric Schmidt, who also is running for the U.S. Senate, obviously has done a lot to fight some of these local mandates. The but, governor has sort of stayed out of that. Yeah, Parson has, has supported mostly local control here. Yes. So, and that's a key thing for to point out. I mean, that he has not been as combative, let's say, as DeSantis in, in Florida. Uh, back to Senator Arthur, she also is considered one of the rising stars within the Democratic Party in Missouri, which has kind of a paltry bench, mm -hmm. and she's one of the few on it. She, Her original House seat, she had kind of stunned people when she won, and then she's continued, and now she's a state senator. So her view, I thought, was interesting in that she was um, conciliatory on something. She pointed out the need to be more spending for education and health care and some of these other things. And for the most part, except for health care, uh, the governor's speech sort of was in line with that. Mm -hmm. So it she wasn't one to uh, sort of 
raise, you know, lower the gauntlet and accuse him of doing this, that, and the other. I noticed she didn't do that. She was just saying, we need to paint a better picture. We need to be doing this, that, and the other. And we're still having to fight the, the pandemic and we're still having to fight gun violence. Two issues that he did not touch on. That's a good point. That did not come up in his speech either. He did talk about law enforcement. Um, he got big applause on this line, in Missouri, we defend law enforcement, not defund them. That was maybe as far as red meat goes to his base. That was maybe about as far as, as Governor Parson went in that speech. Yes. And I think I, you may hear more about that because of some of the uh, crime issues, particularly in the city of St. Louis, um, where the Republicans may try to uh, kind of play more on that, the, quote, defund the police uh, effort, which most of the Democrats have not embraced. Mm -hmm. um, so, but other than that, the governor, I thought, was very careful how he worded that by, but making clear that he's on the side of law enforcement. But he's a former sheriff. I yeah. mean, you know, he, he has a law enforcement background. His, people, his credentials there are not in dispute. People sort of miss that, mm -hmm. you know, that, um, so he, yeah, he's a he's, he's a farmer and a former sheriff. He knows this stuff. Yeah. So so he kind of gave that defense of law enforcement, didn't talk much about guns. It seems like if Democrats want to make headway on that issue, they're going to have a very tough time of that in Jefferson City. Well, the one the one issue where they might be able to forge ties with uh, law enforcement in the state is there's been a lot of law enforcement complaints and concerns about some of the laws that were passed last session that they believe have made it easier for or harder for them to get uh, weapons out of the hands of uh, people that they arrest mm -hmm. who have uh, arms and they're like, we can't take them because of some of these laws that were passed. Laws that seem to handcuff local police, say that they can't uh, work with, with federal uh, authorities, Correct. things like that. Correct. And the governor didn't talk about that. Yeah. And um, But it, it'll be interesting to see, because of his own background, he obviously is hearing some of this. Well, whether or not he tries to counter some of that. The one thing he did do was make clear that he's a big supporter of the of the Second Amendment. But he and, and he also mentioned, you know, about his daughter being uh, an educator mm -hmm. and how, you know, he is listening to some of their um, concerns. So I thought this was and Lauren Arthur is a former teacher. So there's this whole underlying uh, thing beyond both speeches. So she seems to be on the same side as him as far as increasing teacher pay and doing more to help schools. Yeah, it does seem like um, the, the biggest part of his speech where he was rolling out some of these big spending plans, this is something that Democrats are going to get behind. Um, these are things that are going to be popular. They're, they're funded by the federal government. Yes. They're things most Missourians want. Yes. Now, he did not mention most of it. He didn't mention it was being funded by the federal government. But it does give the state a unique opportunity to fund many things that they have not funded that some, even Republicans, have wanted to fund for years. Uh, his One of his predecessors, Jay Nixon, the last Democratic governor, had pushed for some of this, but because uh, the state had money problems, because of the last recession and the lack of Medicaid, extra Medicaid money from the federal government couldn't. So Parson has this really unique opp opportunity to really oversee uh, a lot of spending that can help rural Missouri, help Urban Missouri as well, but I think that's his main focus is going to be rural Missouri and really kind of nail down his legacy. 
for when he leaves office in 2024. So a lot of spending coming the state's way. Um, and as you say, a real chance for Governor Parson to lay down his legacy. He has a lot of plans here. It seems like many of them are things that could be bipartisan in terms of getting support. Well, it has been interesting to hear Governor Parson's state of the state speech. And I want to thank St. Louis uh, Public Radio political correspondent Joe Manis for being with me here in our St. Louis studio. Joe, thank you for joining us and, and sharing that analysis. Oh, well, thank you very much. And thanks to our statewide office in St. Louis, Rolla, and the Hannibal area, as well as KCUR in Kansas City, KBIA in Columbia, KSMU in Springfield, and KRCU in Cape Girardeau. You've been listening to special coverage of the Missouri State of the State Address and the Democratic Response. In St. Louis, I'm Sarah Fenske. Thanks for listening. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.